Amen. God bless you. I want, I want you to remain seated today. Uh, I started a series last week uh, simply titled Satan's Nuclear Option. And we talked about how that the trap of offense, and we read it in Luke 17 and verse 1 where Jesus says, it is impossible that offenses, that, that offenses have to come. Meaning there are, there's going to be a constant turn a turning in our lives to where everywhere we turn, there's going to be an opportunity to be offended or in, in interpretation to sin to, or to have temptation to sin. In every turn, everywhere you go, there is an opportunity to be offended at something or someone. And what was amazing is that when Jesus told the disciples that this kind of environment, this kind of atmosphere is going to happen... And he looks at them and says, if a brother offends you and he does this seven times in a day and he comes back seven times and asks for forgiveness, what are we supposed to do? Kind of, did you feel the inhibition there? Right? Instead of an overwhelming, we forgive. It's what we do. No, even the disciples said at the end of Jesus' little statement there, his phrase about that, the disciples said, Uh, Lord, give us more faith. The request or the commandment, not the request, the commandment that says, if a brother offends you seven times and comes back and asks you to forgive him, you are to forgive him every time. That commandment caused the disciples to ask for more faith. I'm talking about the ones who walked with Jesus. I'm talking about the ones who witnessed tumors disappearing every day of their life while they were with Jesus. You say, well, I don't know. about." Listen, the scripture says if, if all the miracles are written in all the books that are available in the world, they could not contain the amount of things that Jesus did. We're only given just a select number. And so the disciples seeing all of that amazing power, that miraculous thing, that, 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 that display of God's miraculous power, his very nature, that display didn't cause the disciples to go, man, I need more faith. It was the point of telling them they had to forgive someone who keeps offending them. That's what caused them to ask for more faith. And why is it a big deal? Because offense is a trap. It is a hidden trap that waits for every single one of us. And if we're not careful, we'll fall into that offense. And next thing you know, we end up in a society. We end up in an environment to where it doesn't matter who says what, we become offended with it. Can I tell you, offense is as close as opening up your phone. It's that close. If you have Facebook... You have Instagram, you have whatever the sundry of social media apps. I promise you, offense is waiting on you the moment you open it up. And here's the issue. We as Christians so foolishly engage that mess. You'll get that later. But anyway. So, how do we, how do we get past it? How do, how do, we, how do we get over this, 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 this mindset of offense, this, this place of offense that we have found ourselves currently involved in, not just in the world, but also in the church? How do we, in Revelation, the Lord tells us 
He tells the church, listen, the Laodicean church, you think you're rich. You think you're increased with goods. You think you have it all together because you have financial prosperity. But what you don't understand is you're miserable, you're wretched, and you're naked. He says, so what I'm trying to tell you is stop thinking that your physical, material possessions of finance correlates to spiritual success. And that's America's biggest problem. We think because we're the richest nation, we have the, the greatest GDP, we have all of these things that are going on for us, or at least we did, we thought we were okay. And I believe the Lord looked at us and said, man, you're naked, you're miserable, you're wretched. And what does he tell us? How do you get past this? How do we move on from this place? Buy gold from me. What's he saying? Let your heart be softened. And let me turn it to pure gold and go all in with me. Because it's not a politician. It's not an official. It's not even your pastor that's going to save you or make you what you ought to be. It's a relationship with Jesus that makes us what we ought to be. And that helps us to get away from the thing of offense. So I want to continue this week in Matthew chapter 24. Just remain seated. I want you to, we'll start in verse 3. And it simply says this, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when all these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. Probably more than ever right now, I think everybody in church is going, hmm, maybe he is coming back. Anybody thought about that lately? Anybody thought about how close we may or may not be to the coming of the Lord, the return of the Lord? Now watch this. He said, and Jesus answered now, here's his opening phrase. See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they'll lead many astray. And you will hear, war, uh, hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Verse 10. Here we go. Watch this. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold but to the one who endures to the end will be saved. In this chapter, Jesus is giving the signs of the end of the age, the end of time. He's, he's, he, he was, he was ta talking to them and telling them that, listen, there's some things coming down the road here, and this is kind of what they're going to be like. And he starts naming some things, and the disciples get all excited, and they say, whoa, show us what, what the signs are going to be. What, you know, we, we hear these these. Uh, cataclysmic, if you will, uh, events that are going to take place. And man, what? so tell us what this is going to be like. What's going to be the sign of your coming? And this is what he says one of the signs are. Many will be offended. Did you realize that was one of the signs of the coming of the Lord? Many will be offended. Not a few, not some, but many. So the question we have to ask, who are these offended people? Are they Christians or are they just society in general? And the way to find the answer is this. You continue to read it. It says, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Now, here's the key. 
The Greek word for love here is agape. And there's several Greek words used for love in the New Testament, but the two most common are agape and phileo. Now watch this. Phileo determines a love found among friends. The love that Pastor Rodney and I have for each other, that is a, a phileo love on one level. But then watch this. It's an affectionate love that, whether we like it or not, it is conditional. It says this, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You're kind to me, I will do the same to you. That's the kind of love that humans have for each other. Now watch this. On the other hand, though, there's this agape love that is the love of God, which he shed abroad into the hearts of men and women who become saved from the works of his cross. Now watch this. This is the same love, again, that Jesus gave freely at the cross. It is unconditional. It's not based on performance. It's not based on whether or not the love is returned. It is given irregardless of whether or not you reciprocate. It is a love, now watch this, that gives even when rejected. I'm setting you up now. Watch this. Without God, the only love you and I can give is a selfish conceited love one that cannot be given if it's not received now watch this agape love regardless of the response loves and so many jesus said it was the many he's so he's referring to the christians Because the love, the word he used was agape, meaning the love of God. So what he's saying is, the love of God will grow cold in many. So what does this do? Proverbs 18, 19 says, A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a castle. So when this kind of offense takes place, when, when the love of many starts to wax cold, as the King James Version puts it, we construct walls when we become hurt to safeguard our hearts and prevent any further damage. We become selective. We deny entry to anyone that we fear will hurt us. And anybody that, thinks that, that we think owes us something, we filter them out. So we withhold access to people until they've paid their debt in full to us. I know this is kind of unusual for where I'm going, but I, I got to teach you this. I felt this for months that God wanted us to go here. And so I want you to ride this wave with me. Now, listen, when we do this, when we start building these walls, we open our lives only to those we believe who are on our side. That's why people who become offended with someone will circle back around and find the enemy of the person they're offended with in order to befriend. That hurts. That's a word. If you ever had somebody who just absolutely loved you, became offended with you, walked away from you only to make friends with a person who just years prior said they hated you? Watch this. So we choose people who think are on our side, yet these people who are on our side are often the offended ones as well. So instead of helping us, what do they do? They help us stack additional stones on our existing walls that we've already started building. And without knowing when it happens, instead of these walls being walls of protection to keep us from getting hurt, they become walls of a prison that keeps us bound. 
You see, and at that point, we're only cautious, you know, we're, we're, we're not only cautious about the terror that tries to come in, but we also cannot convince ourselves to venture outside of that fortress because of the same pain we think we'll experience. You see, the focus of offended Christians is always inward and introspective. We guard our rights and our personal relationships very carefully because we don't want to risk being hurt. And because we don't want to risk being hurt, we cannot give unconditional love of which the Christian is called to do. You see, unconditional love gives the right to others to hurt us. Love doesn't seek its own. But hurt people become more and more self-seeking and self-contained. And so in this climate, it says that the love of God waxes or grows cold. Now, I'm, I'm going to blow your mind with this. This, this. this wrecked my world. The word wax literally means to grow cold. But now here's what's crazy about this word. Do you know what the Greek word for wax and grow is in this setting? Y'all ready? Psycho. I had to go back and look that up again. I was like, no, whoa, 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 bro. You're throwing way too much revelation at me. I can't handle this. It literally means psycho. We all know what a psycho is, right? How many times said, man, the world's just going psycho. People are losing their minds. How many times you said, people are losing their minds everywhere. Think about that. When we filter everything through past hurts and rejections and experiences, we find it impossible to have connection with God. And because we lose that connection with God, we no longer believe he means what he says. And we start to doubt his goodness, his faithfulness. And since we judge him through the same filters of everything else we've experienced, all of a sudden we start to lose our minds. Or in other words, we're going psycho. That's hard, isn't it? Have you ever seen anybody just walk away from church and just run you in the ground or run the church in the ground or run the pastor in the ground and just talk all kinds of crazy? And you're going, dear God, what in the world happened to them? You're, you're, you're going, my Lord, man, they've lost it. What are you saying? They're psycho. Y'all are uncomfortable with that, aren't you? Now you're like, oh, God. But that's what, that's, yeah, well, where's my well at that back there? I... Now watch this. These, I'm going to say it one last time, psycho people, I'm going to leave it alone after that, meaning offended people, love growing cold people, waxing cold, can actually find scripture to back their position. But it's not a correct division of the word. Because now, the knowledge of God's word without love, agape love, is a destructive force because it puffs up with pride. You see, this creates an atmosphere where we can easily be deceived because knowledge without love of God will lead to deception. Remember, they become psycho, right? I'm sorry, I said it again. Because knowledge without love creates pride. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. 
And so this fall, where they lose their minds and they, they start saying everything opposite of what they've believed and lived for years, creates an atmosphere of pride. And then here's where the danger comes in. Matthew 24, 11, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. False prophets live and are successful in an atmosphere of offense. (laughs) Who are the many they'll deceive? The offended whose love has grown cold. Now, right now, there's this big debate right now about false prophets. You know, because everybody who prophesied that Trump was going to be president. I can't believe that preacher just went there. He just, he just, he pouring salt into that wound. Right? Tons of them did. And now people are going, y'all are a bunch of false prophets. Do you understand that if a prophet who is in, actually in the office of a prophet, scripturally, spiritually speaking, if he gives a bad prophecy, does not make him a bad prophet. It makes him human. Now watch this. Do you want to know what makes, biblically, what makes a false prophet? A person with an evil heart. Now watch this. Lifestyle. They become, as Jesus says in Matthew 7, 15, they become wolves in sheep's clothing. They're self-seeking men who give the appearance of being Christ-like and spiritual, but they have an inward nature of a wolf. Here's the crazy thing. Wolves love to hang around sheep. That's why they can be found in the congregation. I'm going to mess with you here. And that's why they can be found in the pulpit. Preacher, you're talking about your colleagues. Don't tell them I said it. They are sent by the enemy to infiltrate and deceive. Now here's, Pastor Roddy, you said it, lifestyle. They must be identified by their fruits and not by their teachings and prophecies. Because often the teaching can appear and sound fruitful. It can, it can sound spiritual and sound just right. But their lives, the fruit of their lives and their ministries have a wake of carnage. If you listen to a person that's trying to dump stuff in your life and it causes you to leave a church, they are the false prophet and you have been deceived. I love it when I know when I step in poop. Let me move on. I got to hurry. Here's here's the the line of demarcation. A minister, a true spirit-led Christian minister is what he lives, not what he preaches. Can I get real with you? When should you stop following me as your pastor? When my life doesn't line up with his word. That's me. 
And I'm not afraid of you to examine my life. Give it everything you got. It's an open book. You see, wolves always go after the wounded and the young sheep, never the healthy or strong ones. Is this okay? Is this good? You see, these wolves will tell people what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. These people don't want sound doctrine. They want something to, as Scripture would talk, to, uh, tickle their ears. In fact, uh, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 says, But know this, in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be you know, unforgiving and lovers of themselves and having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people turn away. Notice it says having a form of godliness. He's talking about the church. He's talking about the church in the last days. He's not talking about the world. He's talking about those who are supposed to be godly, who are supposed to have a form of godliness, but they're denying the power by how they live. But then he says in 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 5, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from truth. They will boast of being followers of Jesus and proclaim a new birth experience. But what they boast of has not been allowed to pierce their hearts and bring a change of nature in their life. So what is this? This is called the information generation. Paul wrote that these deceived men and women would have a a zeal, excuse me, not a kneel, but a zeal for knowledge... But remain unchanged because they never apply it themselves. He described it as this always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. 2 Timothy 3 7. They're so smart. They know so much about the Word of God. But if you were to follow them around day by day, you would see them participate in some of the most dastardly things. People that talk about they have a love for God, but they never tithe. They they talk about being prayer warriors, but if you call a prayer meeting, they don't sit in here, they stay out there and they run their mouth about the preacher. I'm talking about offended people. Is this okay? I mean, I, I didn't, am I getting fired this week? Pastor Jared, you got an open spot over there, bro? Okay. He says, yeah, come on. <laughs> Y'all better watch it. We're going to live See the attitude? See how quick it is to get offended. You see, he tells us to watch them that hunt for new revelation in order to live a more selfish and successful life. If Paul were to view us today, he would see charismatics running from church to church to escape offense with all of them professing the lordship of Jesus in their life, but yet they can't forgive. That's the reason they left the church. So what happens when this offense takes place and the love of God in their lives begins to grow cold? What happens? Betrayal comes in. Matthew 24, 10, and many will be offended and they'll betray one another and hate one another. If we look closely, we can see this progression because what it often leads, the offense leads to a coldness and coldness leads to betrayal and betrayal leads to hatred. And as I told you earlier, people build walls of protection when they get hurt. And do, do I think they do get hurt? Yes, they do get hurt. Why? Because they've fallen into a trap. And here's the issue. Many of them don't even know they've fallen into a trap. They believe with all their heart they're 100% right. 
Why am I telling you that? Because I don't want you to judge them too harshly. Because if you're not careful, remember Galatians 6, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in spirit of me. And, and being careful that you yourself don't get taken with the same thing. When we betray, when we betray, we seek our own protection. Why? We seek our own benefit at the expense of someone else. Betrayal in the kingdom of God comes when a believer seeks his own benefit or protection at the expense of another believer. And that's the spirit and the atmosphere and the age in which has crept into the church this last few years. Now, I'm not saying that any of this is new because obviously they wrote about this way back when, right? So this is just a recycling of the same old thing, the same old trap that the church has fallen into many, many, many times. The Bible clearly states that anyone who hates his brother is guilty of murder. For all of you that hate Biden, you need to repent. For all of you that hate Trump, you need to repent. See you next Sunday, Jerry. How sad is it? I, I, I hope this is okay. I'm just trying to minister my heart to you. H- how sad is it that we see this example of this kind of lifestyle living within the church today? How sad is that? That we actually see pastors suing other pastors in our country. Two of the most prominent pastors in our country sued each other recently. All about the money. It's so crazy that, it, it, that, 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 we, that we've become so numb to grieve that when we see this kind of thing happening and we're going, oh God, what's going on? Where it's no longer a surprise when Christian couples sue each other for divorce and sue each other for business problems and business breakdowns and church splits become common and predictable. And it, it hurts me when I hear somebody say, man, you hear about the mass exodus over at ABC Church? It breaks my heart. Because what's going on? An offense has taken place. And they're all falling into traps. And we, be, we become so misguided in our lives with God. And we're, we're like, we, we don't know what to say or what to do. And we become offended. We become hurt. And what's crazy is ministry politics are played at an all-time high in the church today. It's disguised as being in the best interest of the church. Christians constantly protecting their rights and making sure that they're not mistreated or taken advantage of. But let me ask you something. Y'all get ready for this. Have we forgotten the exhortation of the New Covenant Scriptures? Watch this. 1 Corinthians 6, 7. Even to, this is in the NLT version, even to have such lawsuits with one another is a defeat for you. Why not just, why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why not let yourselves be cheated? Well, he did me wrong. You know what God's saying? So? You poor baby. Well, that person's a racist. 
there's God. So? Well, that preacher. So? Say, well, you're, you're a preacher. That's why, listen. My wife is my number one spiritual advisor. Especially when she gets the tumor healed. That girl's like, stop. <laughs> I made a statement about a very popular preacher last night. This man made one statement about flying in a private jet. And it rubbed me wrong. Because I really want a private jet. No, I don't. Just kidding. And I judged him on that, that statement. It angered me. Because I see so many Christians barely, you know, living hand to mouth and and I'm like, you don't need a $60 million jet. You're, you're no better than anybody else. And I told my wife, I said, man, I'm so done with that. I'm, I, I, I'm done with that guy. And my wife goes, well, you know, I've seen so many good things come from that man's ministry. <laughs> now, my response wanted to be, well, I'll tell you. But when... She'd been to the glory room, you know, of Jesus, and all that's happened to her. You don't, you don't say that. You just keep your mouth shut and you think about what she said. And then I realized I've fallen into that same trap of offense. I let one statement in a man's life that was a bad statement. He misstepped. God forbid he's human. What happened? I fell into that same thing. Have we also forgotten these words in Matthew 5, 44? But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. How many love to be beat on? How many love for people to call you out on social media and mess with your life? It's fun. Right? Oh, oh, okay. So you're like me. I lay awake at night planning my attack. but I don't. But don't push me. <laughs> Have we forgotten about the words of Philippians 2, 3? Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Yeah. So, why don't we let these laws of love apply to us like we're supposed to. Do you realize the church has the greatest opportunity in this atmosphere of offense than we've ever had before? To rise above the trap, show serious, genuine, agape love, and love people without the hope of a return, knowing that I'm just trusting God no matter what. Let me finish with this. When Jesus was wronged, he did not wrong in return. 
1 Peter 2.21 says, for, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. We have to come to the place where we trust God and not our flesh. Let's stand. Many in this day and age give a lot of lip service to God. In fact, he did say that there's a people that praises me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. When you are lying and running in the ground, a fellow believer, you are never further from the heart of God than at that point. Well, what do you mean? Jesus died for sinners, not Christians. What? You weren't a Christian before you come to know him. And he died before you come to know him. He died with no hope of you reciprocating any kind of love, much less agape love. And when you and I attack each other and we attack other preachers, and we get on our high horse about, I preach truth at my church. <laughs> you know about that much. Christ has called us to a relationship with him that is supposed to exemplify itself in a relationship with others where we don't fall into the trap of offense, where we don't become psycho, lose our minds, start attacking, start running each other in the ground. What about this one? What about that one? You know what? Remember what God says? So, so, you mean to tell me that because that person has done so wrong, you've forgotten about my goodness and that's all you're focusing on? So every time anybody does you wrong, what do you do? Think about his goodness. Think, think about his love. Think about his grace and his mercy in your life. Here's a good one. Think about how stupid you were last week. And do what Jesus did. As a lamb led to the slaughter, he spoke not a word. Pastor, but they're, they're cutting me. They're talking about me. I know. 
that God judges righteously. And you may not be vindicated for their stuff this, in this life, this side of heaven, but you will be on the other side. Hallelujah. Yeah, hallelujah. hallelujah. You may not be able to do anything about what anybody says about you right now or that person that looked at you funny because they didn't like your clothes. Think about that. People don't get offended about that. They get offended about everything. The love of many is waxing cold. I wonder today if you and I could truly peer into the heart of Jesus and come to the awakening of just how much he loves us. He loves us so much that it doesn't matter if I do stupid on Monday and humanly righteous on Sunday the following week. It doesn't matter. He still loves us. I know they got something else they're going to sing here, but I, this song's been rolling around in my, my, my heart and my mind all morning long since about 6 o'clock this morning over here and praying and anointing the stage. and anointing. By the way, I've anointed every aisle that you're sitting on. I was throwing oil everywhere in this building this morning. I did. It was all over the place. I, I smelled like some kind of frankincense and myrrh stuff. I was just all, I was, Jesus, anoint me, God. What a friend we have in Jesus. That's good. Everything to God in prayer. Oh, oh what Why, why? Because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. I wonder if we could lift our hands all across this house.